Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Keith Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, of Christianity, history of the Bible and the canon of the Bible, how it was put together, what books were in, what books were out, what happened in in that big milieu of church history, and up to the Reformation and beyond. And it was in that exploration of church history, that, that, that deep, deep dive over a number of years, that I encountered for the very first time the Catholic Church in its own words. I began to read from Catholic theologians and Catholic historians and Catholic writers, and realized what I thought I knew with the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation, and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what do you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. And this week, guys, this week is maybe my my most excited episode that I've been excited to to record of all time. Really, I I mean that. I'm thinking of the, the guests I've had on the past in this show, some fantastic guests, some heroes of mine down through time. But this one, guys, this one is the one that's got me truly excited because I am joined by my good friend, Joe Goodwin, to tell his conversion story and how how, in some amazing and incredible ways, it intersects with my own. Because that same Protestant pastor who asked me that very first question, guys, is the same one that Joe was going to school with, doing a master's degree in a patristics class together, encountering those same questions, asking those same questions. Well, Joe became Catholic, others from his class also became Catholic, and I became Catholic, the third wheel in that conversation, right? That pastor would come back after his class the next day, I'd sit in his office, and we would chat with those same things that he had heard in class. I was the third wheel in that conversation, and well, this week, we're bringing it all full circle together. It's an amazing episode. Joe's a deep-thinking guy with an amazing story of his own, and I just love how it intersects with mine as well, for better and for worse. Later on in our story, you'll hear that part two near the end, how in parish ministry we encountered some setbacks, but it's a great conversation and an amazing story. I hope you love it. I'm just so excited to bring it to you this week. So hopefully, truly, you find that same joy in this conversation, too. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys, this is not my full-time job, so your support of the show helps these late-night recording sessions be possible to begin with, pays for all the different things that go into making a podcast, and helps me to find the time to spend to justify that time to spend doing this thing week after week so thank you guys for your support of the show we have a new supporter this week thank you to tony for your support of the show tony you are the absolute best thank you to you and to everyone else supporting this show you guys are amazing please pray for me know that i'm praying for you too and for everyone thank you for listening week after week and now without any further ado here's one heck of a conversion story with my friend Joe Goodwin please listen and enjoy Hi 
Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating and a review that helps to push the podcast out to more listeners and helps episodes like these, these conversations reach more listeners. And I think they'll they'll want to hear this kind of awesome stuff. If you are watching on YouTube, thank you. Make sure you subscribe to this channel, help to grow this channel bit by bit and uh, interact below in the comments, guys. Let us know what you think and uh, and engage with us in these conversations. Uh, that's great, guys. And thanks for watching. This week, I am joined... Oh, I'll put it this way. <laughs> I'm joined by... I'll introduce, him, I'll introduce him first. Okay, Joe, I, this is backwards. I'll do it this way, Joe. I am joined by Joe Goodwin. He is Executive Director of the Canadian Priests for the Third Millennium, supporting the formation and needs of priests, seminarians, and discerners who lead the renewal of the Church in Canada. After time as a Protestant minister, Joe was received into full communion in the Catholic Church in 2010, and since then has served in leadership roles in lay Catholic ministries, including six years as campus minister for the Diocese of Hamilton's University Chaplaincy in Waterloo. He has a passion to be part of the spread and revival of the Catholic faith in Canada by sharing the gospel with those around him, indeed, igniting evangelistic fervor in young Catholics. This is a great, great intro, Joe. And the promotion of the Canadian Catholic priesthood. Joe lives outside Waterloo, Ontario with his eight favorite people and an assortment of critters. I can attest to all this. Uh, Joe, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. And hello, Hello, it is so great to be cordial with you this evening. Okay, uh, I'll tell you this now. I wasn't <laughs> sure to say this before after I introduced you, Joe. I, I, in the four and a half years of doing this show, I've been excited. I've had all kinds of fantastic guests, okay? I, I've met a lot of my heroes, too. I'm thinking of the Scott Hans, the Rod Bennons, the Paul McCuskers, these guys that I looked, I looked up to and got to interview on this show, Joe. But I don't know that I have been more excited than I have been to do an interview, honestly, than I am this week to talk to you, Joe. Uh, so small compliment, wow. small compliment <laughs> to you. Okay, so I'll hat tip to you. Because, I mean, this is such a fun story to tell because our two conversion stories, yours and mine, have these weird overlaps and and weave kind of together in strange and distant kind of ways. And I think I'm so excited to bring to listeners uh, and to viewers into this story because I just think it's so interesting. And I'm excited to, after all these years, to sit down with you together and, and to share this story because I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just because I'm in this one show, but it, it, that's, it's, what it is. <laughs> that's all. That's all that it is. I think it's so fascinating how the Lord really brought us together. I, from my perspective, on kind of two sides of a discussion, both on kind of parallel tracks into the Catholic faith. Gosh, there's so much in here in the story, Joe. So I I don't think I have been more excited for an interview than I am than I am this week. Um, so thank you for making this work. Wow. And I'm, I don't even know what to say to that. So, I mean, I've been super excited about it too. I just didn't think that, that was what it was for you. My goodness. I'm really just so thrilled to be here and uh, yeah, to be part of the school, uh, school enterprise. I'm trying to think of an analogy of like, you know, that like when somebody finally meets, like, you know, so excited for this, this one day and one guy comes, oh yeah, this, yeah, I'm just, I'm here to do this. Like you're, you're excited with this? Okay. I just thought it was, here I am just gushing and, and, and. Oh, I'm and Joe rolls I'm up. Yeah, excited. okay. Let's just do this. 
Now listen, <laughs> I'm going to call you Joey, I'm sure, a bunch of times. I know you. I, I've known you when I first met you as Joey. So we're calling you Joe. This is what I've been told by your PR people. Well, that's that's I'm, my PR people. Yeah, it's okay because, I mean, everybody who's known me since I was a calf, you know, calls me uh, Joey, and that's totally all right. <laughs> Okay, good. But I, I go by yeah. Joe most of the time, or Joseph. So if I slip, I'll, so if I slip, we know where that came from. Otherwise, I'll call you. You're, you're among the privileged few who can, because you knew me long enough ago that that's kind of oh, how I went. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. Okay, so let's. I, I don't want to even begin with the story. I mean, you probably do. I want to you to begin to unspin your story, uh, Joe. And I don't know if I wait till the end to jump in, like, hey, here's where I come in the story, and, 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 I, and I jump in all foamy at the mouth. But uh, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. Go back as far as you want to go back. Tell us kind of your your origin story, and we'll, we'll, then we'll walk towards your journey into the Catholic faith, and we'll see we'll see at what point. I, I, I come along. I mean, you were already Catholic for a while before I came Catholic, so it was, became Catholic. So I think it's probably, I'm probably maybe late to the party a little bit, but I, I, I'm curious also because I haven't heard in depth your side of the story. So I'm kind of, I'm mm. kind of curious. I mean, I've heard bits and pieces. I've known you for a long time now, but I don't think we sat down and you said, okay, here's where I began. Here's the step of the way. We have right. lots, we have lots in common, but I don't, I don't quite know where, how it fits together. So I'm going to sit back. We're going to sit back. Un, unfurl your your fantastic uh, conversion story, Joe. Where the Lord okay. led you. It. It's a guy. It's a guy who came to the Catholic faith through some interesting uh, yeah, okay. means from an interesting place. But you know, you'll keep me from you know getting caught in some kind of backwater along yeah. this stream, yeah. right? Because okay. yeah. I tend to yeah. do that. I yeah. down I'll help paddle out of the weeds if you get there. Joe. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Where does it begin right. for you? Uh, on a cold Tuesday morning. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Montreal General Hospital. <laughs> I don't even know if it was a Tuesday or cold, but it was September. And uh, I was born in Montreal uh, to uh, two parents who uh, both were in Pentecostal ministry. Um, and uh, funny, funny fact, because it's already, you know, we've given away the the punchline that I, I became Catholic. Um, I was born, this this is significant, on, on September the 29th, 1978. Now, <laughs> excuse me. Exactly 100 years prior to that, uh, Bishop Michael Power consecrated um, uh, St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto. And uh, I was born and, and first lived on a street called Bishop Power. Um, <laughs> not only that, but, uh, you know, so 100 years to the uh, from, you know, uh, to the day from when that happened, I'm born there. There we are. I'm born on uh, the Feast of St. Michael. And I was born about... Uh, just a few days before, uh, it was actually the day after John Paul I died. And so it was just a few, you know, it was a week or so before John Paul II, well, before Cardinal Wojtyla became John Paul II. And if you had told my parents that later on, I would be working at a place called the St. John Paul II Student yeah. Center, yes. connected to a place called St. Michael's Church, <laughs> wow. and then I would have become Catholic on the Feast of St. Michael. Wow. Uh, I think they would have uh, cast all the demons out of you, and they would have bound whatever there could be bound and loosed whatever could be loosed. And uh, yeah, they would have they would have rebuked you harshly. <laughs> um, but you know, I had a really really fantastic uh, childhood for the most part, and uh, you know, my, I have wonderful parents, and uh, they raised me to love Jesus. And I remember at age four, kneeling beside my bed and, you know, in the words of a four-year-old, right? I, I remember kind of just closing my eyes and saying, God, I want to be your child. Yeah. 
and I'm sorry for my sins. You know, please forgive me. I want to be your child. And that's all I knew. Right. Um, and uh, that's all I had to know when I was four. And my mom, I remember she, uh, she gave me uh, one of those uh, picture Bibles, kind of like a comic book style Bible, but like it's old. kind. I can still tell you what like Laban or yeah. <laughs> Hezekiah or Moses wore because they yeah. wore the same thing throughout the entire. So uh, she gave it to me. I devoured the Old Testament in one uh, day. And she quizzed me on it the next day. And then she came, and then she said, okay, now read the New Testament, which I did in less than a day. And uh, she quizzed me on that. Uh, this is picture form, right? So, and uh, I remember just falling in love with the Bible. Yeah. It's like, she was very good. And and I, I went, you know, the experience of Sunday school and going to a church, an evangelical Protestant church, it was Pentecostal. Um, just growing up with Bible, Bible, Bible being just presented and it was never shoved down my throat it was always very beautiful it was always presented as the you know these are the words of eternal life and like yes you know and they did bring such you know uh i still do obviously uh, bring incredible life and consolation to me um my relationship to god uh you know even in prayer takes a scriptural form you know not just through the mass and through all of the sacraments which are heavily heavily scriptural but um my prayer to God is often just is the Psalms is, yeah. is, uh, uh, you know, it's anyway. It's, so scripture has been very, very important to me. And of course I was raised to believe that scripture was the only rule for faith and practice. Um, and that the, uh, no other source of authority was ever relevant to the Christian life <clears throat> other than, you know, we always made exceptions, right? Your parents, all your parents are godly authority. You don't just, when you obey them, you obey God. Okay. Wait a second. Right. It's kind of like the whole, uh, we don't like statues except at Christmas. Yeah. You know, we don't believe in any human authority, no human authorities from God, but the government, you got to obey them and your parents. Well, yeah, that's godly authority, but nobody else. Okay. Your pastor. Well, yeah, to a limited degree, that's God's authority too. But you know what I mean? Like so many, so many Protestant um, traits, evangelical Protestant traits kind of start the first few paths down the road to Rome uh, and they just never finish the journey. And, uh, and I don't, by, by saying that and by sometimes poking fun, I don't for any moment uh, intend to belittle anyone or mock anyone. There are some, there are, there are Protestant, uh, you know, scholars who I could never go up against uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, theological uh, d- debates and discussions. Um, but it's just the way it is or the way I see it. You know, so many people have used it phrases like uh, the land of more or when, or the church is so much bigger on the inside than on the outside, that kind of thing. Anyway, I don't, intend to denigrate anyone but that was my experience um loving scripture it kind of stopped there you know in terms of authority uh i definitely enjoyed um the experience of church the experience of sunday school youth group um all the things that we did missions uh, i you know i went door to door evangelizing like these were all things that were part of my life and and i loved it and i, I still do i can there are those parts of just living the christian life yeah. i never had to renounce when i became catholic anyway Fast forward a number of years, uh, I get married, you know, I get into ministry, I, uh, we have children, and I guess it was about, I was about 25 when I, yeah, I was taking a graduate course uh, in uh, patristic theology, and I remember, um, I remember reading St. Augustine. I would never have called him St. Augustine, it was just Augustine of Hippo, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, father of Western theology kind of was a theological hero of mine. And I remember thinking, you know, kind of dawning on me one day that he's Catholic. And, you know, not only because Catholic was the only game in town, it was, uh, you know, he was most definitely Catholic by choice because he didn't, he wasn't always that way. And uh, he said some of the most Catholic things that have ever been said. So 
therefore, you know, given that he is truly Catholic, like Roman Catholic, I realized, oh, he's wrong about everything. <laughs> because literally, you know, in Sunday school, yeah. when they would read something, especially from like Romans or Galatians or something, they would read a verse and they'd be, okay, now this could mean this, but we know it doesn't mean that. And why? Not because the rest of scripture says otherwise, not because it's clearly on the face of it, not that way, but because the Roman Catholic Church teaches it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Catholics say that, therefore, that's not the way to understand this verse. Anyway, it's because I was sort of caught up in that, even, you know, even as an adult. Um, the, obviously, Augustine was wrong about everything. So I kind of had to step away from studies for a bit. And I actually uh, went on, uh, some people would call it a red letter quest. You know, when you go through the scriptures and just take out the words of Christ and try to distill the essential uh, revelation of God to humankind. I did a similar thing with the uh, apostolic fathers. And I figured, you know, especially since evangelical Protestantism at the time and even now, is was kind of going through a, an existential crisis, not really able to determine what constitutes being a Christian, either doctrinally, morally, um, um, liturgically, sacramentally, they just couldn't define it. Um, And by the way, I wasn't running from that. I was actually part, I was participating in that process with my, uh, you know, fellow Christians uh, of of discerning and discovering. But I thought, you know, at some point, the apostolic fathers, the the guys who learned the faith from Peter, James, and John, and those guys, right? I'm talking about uh, Irenaeus and Ignatius and Clement and, and, uh, you know, uh, Polycarp and and this, this whole group, either one or two generations removed from the the apostles themselves. And I thought, okay, whatever they all have in common, it's got to be the essential gospel. The part, you know, this is the, the core that you can't get rid of. And I thought, I honestly thought in my ignorance that I would come across um, you know, justification by faith, uh, some version of sola scriptura, even though the Bible, the New Testament didn't exist. Um, uh, because there are references in the New Testament to to the writings, right? Uh, so not going beyond what was written, et cetera. Um, and so I thought I'd see that. I thought I'd see a bunch of, well, Protestant tropes. And I didn't find that. What I found was a commitment to a common uh, liturgy, a commitment to a common authority, being the bishop who himself was uh, subject to uh, uh, communion with the Bishop of Rome. And I found uh, devotion to the saints, especially the martyrs and the mother of God. Um, And most importantly, uh, a belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And that blew my mind. I mean, I kind of knew that some of these things were present in the early church fathers, but I didn't realize that if you just distill it down to the apostolic fathers, this is the main feature. These are the main features. And I kind of went, this is problematic for me uh, because it seems to indicate the Catholic church might be more than just, you know, one of the Christian movements out there. Again, being rooted in history, I kind of knew that the Catholic church, you know, has that pedigree that no other group has. And yet uh, I was kind of, baffled by how real that became when I read the, uh, you know, the second generation of, of fathers. And I kind of, again, had to step back because, you know, when something hits you that emotionally and that, that inescapably, you kind of, I just kind of reel a bit, you know, kind of dissociate a bit in a way. (laughs) Um, Because I was trying to remain, you know, try to negotiate this path more intellectually. And what kept happening is I get, you know, attacked from the side by these these feelings of a longing for something I've I've never had, I'm almost a nostalgia for something I've never had, um, and also 
just severe resistance. Like I'm, you know, if I go through this intellectually, I, I, I'm participating with the wisdom of man, and um, you know, I got to be, I got to be preserved from that. It's the wisdom of God, you know. Just raise your hands and dim the lights and put on a soft keyboard pad, and you'll get in touch with God. You know, that's your portal to heaven. So. Anyway, discovering all this, and I stepped away, and I had to come back to it. And I did sort of a, a Lee Strobel type thing. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the case for Christ. He, you know, he's a journalist, and he had to write all the objections he had to the Christian faith, specifically the resurrection of Christ. And so he wrote, this is why it can't happen. This is why it can't happen. This is why. And so I wrote down all of the typical Protestant objections to the Catholic faith, right? You know them all. Purgatory, the communion of saints, Marian spirituality, uh, the papacy, uh, sacraments, the priesthood, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I did exactly what Strobel did, which is go through each one, try to root myself historically, philosophically, theologically, logically down, uh, every one of these paths, uh, trying to understand, you know, trying to disprove the Catholic faith. And, and I kind of knew going in that it was futile. The reason is if the second generation of apostles got it wrong, then all of Christianity is a sham. Like we're just the Kiwanis club with a cross, right? And funny hats. And uh, it's not worth it um, if they got it wrong in the second generation when Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail. So um, I kind of knew that something's got to give. And then I went through every single argument and I proved myself wrong unintentionally. I had to go through the entire papal magisterium and conciliar magisterium. That took a little while, like a matter of years. Um, by that, I mean every document that um, every pope and every council has ever put out. It's like it's an encyclopedia set yeah. Um, yeah. worth. And I had to, because here's why I had to find a contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I had to. And I was not going to rely on secondary literature. There's so much Catholic apologetic literature out there. And a lot of it's very, very, very good. And some of it's okay. And I did not want to run across. uh, Yeah. I didn't want to base my arguments. If I was going to change my life, which it looked like I was going to left ministry and everything, because I realized I was not going to be an evangelical Protestant my whole life, or at least not an evangelical. And uh, I kind of (laughs) said, You know, I I kind of I kind of went down that path saying, if this is right, if this is true, I have to follow it. Um, I was first convinced by the efficacy of Christian baptism and apostolic succession, and once you do that, you're kind of toast, right? <laughs> Working my way toward the Eucharist, and then you know all sorts of other do- uh, doctrines, kind of yeah, okay, that's sort of answered, not answered, and then I hit the Eucharist, which I think I was avoiding. I think there was something inside me that avoided that discovery um and i'll never forget i'll never forget going to mass uh really for the first time i'd been to some weddings but not consciously recognized that this is a mass yeah yeah and i remember going to mass for the first time going to mass and the consecration and everyone you know how many people tell this story right but the words i use is at the consecration i was like i know you that's that's you. I know you, right? Yeah. Because I've I've been in love with Jesus since I was four. And, you know, being in front of the Eucharist for the first time and recognizing the Eucharist, you know, as, as St. Paul says, recognize the body. Um, you, you kind of, I kind of realized how much I didn't know him, you know? 
it's almost like going through a going through a, a sort of a, a tiff with your spouse. You know, you, you, of course I know you. I, co- I know you very well. And then on the other side of the fight, it's like, oh, I didn't know you very well. You know, I just discovered something about you. And it's the same thing with Jesus, yeah. except we didn't have a fight. I just became conscious of how much more present he is to his church than I ever thought. I always thought it was us going to the throne room of God through the blood of Christ. That's not an inaccurate image, but way more important than that, way more important than that is Jesus coming to us through his own blood and body and soul and divinity. Right. So I kind of recognized uh, bits and pieces of that. I don't know if I would have been able to describe it that way, but it was just this visceral. It went from being an intellectual journey to a spiritual and emotional and heartfelt one, because it was like, that's you. And I remember going to adoration for the first time. Uh, I think you probably know the the friend that uh, invited me as well um, to adoration. Uh, she was my sort of predecessor and then colleague in campus ministry. Um, you, you probably know her, but yeah. anyway, uh, she yeah. invited me to, uh, to um, adoration. And uh, I, again, I had the same experience and I didn't know when you go to adoration, you're supposed to genuflect, but I went in, in, in the room and I fell to both knees kind of almost involuntarily. <laughs> Because I was just like, that really is you. I yeah, know you. Yeah. And I remember kind of getting choked up about it. And I go into, uh, I get into the pew, and this this lovely friend of ours says, um, says, oh hi, Joseph. This is so and so. This is so and so. She goes, and of course you know my Jesus. Oh God, I lost it at that point because I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes. And yet I don't wow. know him. You know. Wow. Uh, so anyway, that kind of you're, you're toast at that point, and yeah. you know, and and it was in that moment when I realized kind of what the Eucharist is, that two things happened. One thing that happened is all of my previous uh, objections to the Catholic faith kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but they kind of congealed in the Eucharist, like um, turning the incarnation, turning my understanding of the incarnation on its head through an understanding of the Eucharist made all these other problems, these misunderstandings of grace, these misunderstandings of um, uh, sanctification and, and, and penance and yeah, indulgences yeah, and yeah. just everything about Catholic soteriology just kind of all of a sudden made sense. Even angels and demons, the way we see uh, those just all started to make sense. And the second thing that happened when I had this kind of experience was that I realized um, there's no choice for me anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't have a choice anymore. If I say I love Jesus and I don't follow him because I've discovered that he's there in the tabernacle of every church, uh, Catholic church, and I don't become Catholic, I don't love him. And it's hard for a lot of my Protestant friends and family to understand that. They think, oh, what, you've seen the light and we haven't? What do you say to that? Yeah. You know, um, yes, no, you know, yeah, you're, you're much holier than I am. But somehow I've seen this to be true. And you have to imagine a parallel universe in which I'm right. And if I'm right, and the Eucharist is what the church says uh, it is, or who the church says it is, um, then I don't have a choice. Yeah. If, it's, if they're wrong, yeah. and I'm worshiping a piece of bread, then I'm uh, you know, a demonic uh, idolater. Otherwise, there's no choice. So that happened. Uh, it was in 2010. Um, again, on September 29th, 19, uh, sorry, uh, 2010, that I became Catholic. My my wonderful wife, uh, who's a very holy woman and who will probably get to heaven before me, even though she'll probably survive me, um, did not join with me. And that was 13 years ago. Um, we, have, uh, we have seven children and uh, none of them are Catholic. 
Um, and of course, that breaks my heart. Um, and it causes a whole bunch of predictable problems uh, in every area of life. But uh, here I am. And uh, I would not trade the Eucharist for anything. Even a even a religiously united family, which yeah. is the thing I desire the most after the Eucharist. And along the way, um, there were definitely, you know, I'm skipping over a whole bunch of steps where there were people who came into my life and made, uh, you know, give me, you know, provided amazing insight or influences. Um, so I don't know how much you want to get into each one of those, but, uh, you know, somebody said to me once, uh, what made you, who made you Catholic? And I said, everybody. First I say Jesus. <laughs> First I say Jesus. Yeah. And then I say, yeah, but who was like accompanied you on the way? I'm like, everybody. Because at one point I realized every Protestant and Catholic that I met who was holy was, was pushing me along the journey to Rome. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the person I was mentioning earlier, I guess it's no, no problem saying her name is Anya. Um, you know, she was an enormous influence. Um, she was the first Catholic who ever out Bibled me. Cause of course I was among the Protestants who thought that Catholics don't know their Bible. Um, and they largely don't, but boy, does she ever. And, um, you know, my, my, uh, my friend, uh, my friend Gregory, uh, who was also a, um, convert from the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada uh, a little bit earlier than I was. Uh, he, he was an amazing help. Um, and I even say my parents were an amazing help. You know, my, my mom taught me, my dad taught me to love Jesus more than anything else and to follow where he led, no matter what it cost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I will not pretend that I do that at all times, but this was a big thing and couldn't say no. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, a lot of saints helped me along the way, right? A lot of a lot of friendships with, um, uh, especially Our Lady. You know, I remember praying the Rosary and hoping that I wasn't committing idolatry for the first time. Um, Saint Joseph, who's by the way the reason I I usually go by Joe or Joseph now. I was confirmed under that name as well, not because it was given to me at birth, but because I, I chose it because of Saint Joseph. Um, and a bunch of other, you and I share one uh, special devotion to uh, Saint Francis de Sales. Yeah. Indeed, um, he was a he was a, a guy who who helped me along the way. Saint Augustine, Saint Bonaventure, Saint Thomas Aquinas, yeah, and a bunch of the early church fathers too. Oh, and Saint Andrew Bisset was a huge one for me. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. You, you know why? Because well, I mean, I'm a Saint Joseph devotee first of all, but um, but the second of all is is because uh, all the other saints that I'm friends with, I kind of have to use my brain <laughs> to access. <laughs> But he's my one friend in heaven, or one of the few friends in heaven. I don't really need to use my brain. I just, I'm just, he's just there with me, yeah, kind of sits with me, especially when I'm talking to somebody who's hurting. You know, he's there with me. And I always ask him for prayer if I'm praying for somebody who needs healing, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, lots of saints. That's beautiful. And some people that, that we have in common, I think, are kind yeah. of fascinating. So I'm thinking back to, I, you know, I always start this show, Joseph, by talking about the, the instance that, that kind of put me onto that, uh, the road to Catholicism. And it was this, you know, this Protestant evangelical pastor who I was working for, I, I was interning for at the student church in Waterloo. And, and I went to Bible college with him. And this is the thing. So one, you know, he called me to his office one day. And says to me, "Hey, I, I, I'm I'm going to this course. We're, we're doing this stuff. You know what? What do you think? What do you think is more important, the Bible or tradition? 
was the question he asked me. And in hindsight, it's kind of a weird question because they don't have to pit those things together necessarily. But I said, well, of course the Bible, because that's the answer that every every evangelical is taught to give is, is Jesus or the Bible. is the Sunday school answer, right? So I say the Bible. And then he says, yeah, he was ready for this answer. He was ready. He, he's the kind of guy, and you know this, right? He, he's got the next, the next question and answer lined up. Right? He's thinking like two steps ahead. And he said, yeah, but who put the Bible together? And I went, oh, yeah, who did? Right, and here I was. Like, I mean, I became I became an evangelical Christian at the age of fifteen. So I'd been I'd been many years at this point as an evangelical Christian. I I I loved my Bible. I loved. I was taking undergrad level church history courses at the university, and here I was stumped by a question like that because I hadn't thought about. Well, yeah, exa- how did it get put together exactly? Like, I, you know, you I, I assumed well, it's there. It's it's bound between those two leather back. You know, pieces of leather, right? So, so, yeah, so, so, well, who put it together? And I, and, and he goes, wasn't that tradition? And I thought, well, yeah, I guess it was. So, is that, is that more important? Because that kind of helped to put the Bible together. And that, and not just any tradition. Well, that, that was the thing, right? And so I began to look into, this was a 2007, 2008, I think. So I don't know where you were at this point. I think you were in this class with this guy, with this guy maybe at this point. But that threw me for a loop, right? And I, and I didn't know how to, how to understand that. And I, and I began then to, to slowly unpack those questions, right? And I, I began looking at Protestant sources. Okay, so, so what do... What do Protestants say about this? How do Protestants understand this, this history? Because I, I was Protestant, right? And I kept running into a lot of claims made about, okay, the Catholic Church down through the ages here, this and this, that didn't kind of square up. They kept, they kept leaving me like, there's got to be more than this. This doesn't quite make sense. These, these claims don't quite make sense, right? And of course, like you did, began to read from the church fathers. I discovered the church fathers and thought, wait, wait a minute. There's, I wasn't taking a master's level course like, like you were Joseph. Uh, I, I, and my, I, and my own, uh, feeble, uh, edumacation stumbled into these things that, that I realized were called the, the church fathers and the, you know, the apostolic fathers. And I couldn't believe all of the pages and pages and pages of writing we have from the guys who were, in many cases, hearers of the apostles, right? And I'm encountering things like you encountered. You know, one thing that stopped me in my tracks was, first of all, Ignatius of Antioch talking about the bishop. You know, where the where the bishop mm-hmm. is, that's where the church is. And I went, what do you mean? I don't have a bishop. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my church yeah. is like down the street. We don't have a bishop. We have nothing in the Pentecostal church that talks about bishops like that, right? And and why why was it important that the uh, the churches where the bishop was because only the bishop or those yeah. assisting him yeah. should consecrate yes the yes <laughs> and then I read that one of the ways that to, to identify you know a non Christian a, a heretic was that they don't they don't profess the Eucharist as the body and blood of of Christ the same flesh that hung and suffered on the cross so we're not talking metaphorically here symbolically here right this is the 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 same and i went wait we don't what we don't don't believe that and i thought well why did that change right and then you begin to kind of or did it change yeah and then i realized wait a minute it 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 didn't change 
in this in this church over here. They still believe they still believe this. And then I began to read from, say, you know, Catholic sources, not about the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church itself, writing, writing, right, in its own authority and its own words from, from those who were within the church. And I realized, as I often say in the intro to the show, Joe, that what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was was based on these misunderstandings. Right? I don't not- know why people think that that's okay. Like, I mean, like another good convert convert friend of mine from the PAOC, another Bible college uh, classmate, said, uh, he, he said it right. He said, uh, why do people go to Toyota to ask about a Chrysler? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Because, you know, and I guess I guess I was comfortable, right, in the evangelical sources, first of all, right? I It was okay to read about the Catholics as long as I was reading about them from my own camp, right? I felt safe doing it that way. Yeah. But the misunderstandings that I, that I heaped up. Right. And it, and it wasn't like you talked about, and I had this experience too, in certain places, like just, just misinformation, almost willfully kind of blind or sometimes just misleading. Like we're going to say this, we're going to say it as if it's true, even though it probably isn't, we don't, we don't care to look into it. There's a couple of YouTubers who were like this. And years ago, I, I lost my hat over it and I really would have, in, in less, less mature moments, really wanted to respond to some of these <laughs> the comments out there, right? That are, <laughs> wait a minute, if you just looked into this, you would know this isn't true. But you're saying this as if it's true, and it really bugged me. But I encountered a lot yeah. of that, you know, as an, even as a Pentecostal in my younger years. But more often than not, it was people who just were misinformed and weren't trying to maliciously lis- mislead people, just really didn't know what they're talking about. And were then spreading that. I was receiving that. Because it was safe. It felt okay in my own camp, right? But the minute you, re- you begin to venture out and read Catholic theologians, read the Catechism, you know, read St. Francis de Sales, these fabulous saints that St. Augustine, right? St. Jerome, the, the writings of these saints that were thoroughly Catholic, who write with authority and, like you say, Joe, again and again, bring it back to the, the Eucharist and the bishop and these things. It, it it begins to at least force you to kind of begin to ask questions. And when I'm, you know, when my when that that even Uncle Pastor was coming back to his office after a night class or whatever, after a class at Bible College studying patristics, he was thinking of his upbringing as a as a Catholic because he was raised in Montreal as an Italian Catholic, and would come back and wrestle with, well, here's what I what I'm trying to drive with my upbringing and what I'm learning here in my current status as an evangelical pastor and, and the early church. And I was a sounding, I was a sounding board, I think in many cases. And years later, when I had gone down this journey, right? I'd read the things you'd read. I'd read the patristics. I, YouTube was beginning to be a thing back in, at this time. And I remembered something across, you know, RCAA videos that uh, Father John Ricardo was putting out through Our Lady of Good Council Parish in Michigan, these hours and hours of just rich theological teaching. And I was like, I was in heaven. I was binge watching these in secret. Like my wife would go to bed before we had kids. I'd be up till three in the morning. <laughs> really? Yes. I didn't know this. I'd be up till three in the morning on YouTube, binge watching the, the religious videos. Here I was in yeah. secret, kind of like devouring the Catholic faith. And I, I can remember, like I, I got to a point where, I said, "Hey, look, I've been, I've been on this journey," and she knew uh, she knew a lot about it, but I hadn't really been openly sharing what I was thinking with her. And I got to a point where I said to her, "I'm this is where I'm at. I'm thinking I'm thinking of I got to become Catholic." And I waited way too long. I know now, after years of doing this show, 
that I made the mistake that many of us, uh, often the male convert makes, and waiting just way too long to tell your spouse what you were thinking this whole time. And I, I dropped that bombshell on her, and that went awfully. It went as you can imagine it went. Uh, yeah. And I, I know that story. Yes. And I went to one of the, you know, one of the suggestions that she made, well, well let's talk to this guy you knew, this pastor that you knew the, from years ago who first got you on this journey. And I went to, I went to see him and actually in the same town that we live in now uh, is where he lived at the time with his wife, which is funny because we're back here in a coffee shop, just, you know, you know, 10 minutes away from where I'm sitting here. I met him <laughs> one Saturday morning, we were in town visiting and we sat down and I said, Hey, look, this journey began years back when you got this, asked me this question, right? And now I'm at the door of the Catholic Church. Stop me. What? Stop me. Like, this is, you're the last hope. And it was many of my friends, my wife included, kind of said, he'll tell you, he'll talk you out of it. Like, the, you know, they, he'll stop you because he, you know, he, he didn't become Catholic. He's still an evangelical pastor, right? He got you on this path and, and he'll stop you. And I went and I saw him. And I said, what do you say? Stop me. And all he said to me, Joe, was he said, listen, I got a friend who way back when we were in class together, you know, he was asking questions like this. I was asking questions like, you know, he became Catholic and he would say, don't do it. It's too hard. It fractures our family. It's too complicated. Like that's, don't do it. And I looked at him and I said, the only reason I shouldn't become Catholic is because a guy you knew has a hard time with, with, with his family. Now, that's understating it, I think, in hindsight, because it, it, that's challenging. I'm not going to downplay that. But sitting there, I thought, that's not a good enough reason, though, not to, not to go where I can receive the Eucharist and where Jesus is present in the Eucharist and I can have that. That's not going to stop me. And I walked out feeling kind of defeated, kind of... You know, I, I kind of hoped he'd had something substantial to slow me down or to, uh, to redirect me. And I thought, well, I guess that's it. Like, that's the last, if that's all he's got, I'm becoming Catholic, right? And I did. I know that story. I did. Meaning, meaning I lived it as well. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I became Catholic. And my wife became Catholic, thanks be to God. Not the case I know for Praise everybody, God. right? The, mm-hmm. A year later. Uh, no, thanks, no small part to Our Lady, who I, and I prayed my first Miriam prayer the night that I told her I was thinking of becoming Catholic. We had a great big fight. We don't, we don't fight often like, the, like this. Great big fight. I slept on the couch that night, and it was just like, a, it, was, it was fireworks. And I said my first you know, prayer to Mary. Mary, hey, if, if, you're, if you, you can hear my prayers, please pray for me. Like, this seems hopeless situation. And really, it felt absolutely hopeless. And the next morning, as early as the next morning, my wife came up and said, you know what? I spent all last night looking at the Catholic Church, and I, you're not so wrong after all. And I went, wait a minute. Wow. We, we went, I didn't know that she did know, that on her own. Yeah, we, well, we, went from, we went from, honestly, Joey, th- there I go, Joey, honestly, Joseph, fe- feeling you know, totally hopeless the one night, saying this prayer, and the next morning, I, I, not, not a complete, like nothing was magically solved the next morning, but... The, the distance between the night before and the next morning was astronomical mm. in that in, the, mm. in that movement. To here, I thought, never, never f- for a minute ever in her life will she consider this. To the next day was just that even a small moment movement felt like astronomical after that, that prayer, asking a saint to help me and pray for me, right? So that guard was down quite fast. The, the, my, my problem with Mary was solved quite quickly when 
with that, you know, that kind of a rush of an answer of a prayer, like so powerful like that was. That's often the last thing to go for a lot yeah, of converts. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it was, it was easy in that sense for me, but then, so I'm beginning to discern. Okay. Here's you come back in the story. It's, I think it's really fascinating. Joey, Joey, <laughs> yeah. I won't okay. stop. I can't okay. stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. But I, I, I remember I was on the way to discerning how to get into the Catholic Church. I had no idea how to even actually become Catholic, and I was at this little this little basement uh, at at St. Anne's actually in Kitchener. I'll, I'll say because you, you probably know what I'm talking about. And it was this little kind of I don't even know what, what they framed it as, but it was like a little parish talk. And I thought, oh, cool, like a Bible study kind of thing. And down the street from where we lived at the time, like, I, I could walk down there, and I did. And I got there, and I met some pretty awesome people who kind of sat with me, and I told them a bit of my story. They're like, wait, you're not Catholic? I'm like, no, 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 I'm thinking of becoming Catholic, though. I'm on this, I'm on this, this journey, and they go, oh, you got to meet this guy we know. you got to meet this guy called, you got to meet this, this Joey guy. And so, so I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but so they gave, they gave me this, this number. I think I texted you, and we met up on like a Saturday morning. At, at a Tim Hortons, a coffee chain up here, up here in Canada. And it didn't take long, if I remember correctly, before we realized that we had had this weird story in common where this guy that you knew in this course on like patristics or whatever, who was, you know, who was, you were asking questions to serve in the Catholic faith. He was obviously <laughs> asking questions and then bouncing these questions off of, off of me at a later date, I became Catholic kind of tangentially through like your journey and conversations, I think, with him. And that like, it's this really weird kind of triangle and then circle around. Well, and I, you I had and, to be like, I must have been the one that he was referring to when he said, oh, I have a he, friend who well, you were. Catholic and had you family were. issues. You were. Yeah, okay. And I met you and I said, I think you're this guy. We discerned, we kind of figured this out. And I remember you going, I would never say that. If you asked me, I would have said, yeah, you got to become Catholic. Like, as hard as it is for me, as hard as, you know, you, of course, I wouldn't have given you that advice that he, that he gave you, right? All, all those years later. So you've been looking for, you were looking for a lot of reasons to not proceed in that journey. Yeah. yeah. And he and was using. you looked for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that story for sure. And, you know, he, so I, it's just a fascinating kind of the way those things weave together. I think, right? You know, I, 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 I don't know. Were, were, you, were you guys bouncing like ideas off of? If you remember that time, I don't know. Was, um, what, was, was this something that when you talked to this guy, was it? Did it seem like he was going through a thing? Because the end I was getting was there's a lot of wheels turning there, and I was getting, and I was getting all the. Uh, I was a springboard for these kind of conversations. I think the the what the I don't know what you call that the the punching bag, right? Yeah, or the tackle dummy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. I know what you mean. Yes, there were things. You know what? I can't speak for him. Um, I knew him quite well. Yeah. But, I would, um, yeah, yeah. You know, we were friends. Um, but and I I would even go as far as to say that there was a period of time where our paths were in going in the same direction. Yeah. Um, you know, perpendicular to the Tiber river and um and i and i have i have lots of speculation as to why he kind of uh, sure sure abandoned that path but it's not for me to say uh, i i do know this i do know that if i had gotten any more experience in ministry 
uh, and there were some areas in which I, well, you know what, we everybody excels at something and you know is weak at something else. The the areas in which I was strong, you know, there's a lot of promise there yeah, for movement, yeah, yeah. upward movement, uh, deeper movement, uh, a lot of affirmation, a lot of, um, um, yeah, there's even you know there's even, there was money, there, there was attractiveness about the kinds of things that were before me to do, and it's a mercy I'll say just because of my own human weakness, it's a mercy that God allowed me to uh, be received into communion, full communion with the Catholic church um, before some of those things really came to fruition. Um, You know, there were definitely were some things that I had to give up significant things, but I I wasn't as far down the road of, um, of being successful in, uh, in ministry where it would be excruciating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, I don't want to speculate about anybody's reasons yeah. for abandoning that path. And you know what? Nobody has permanently abandoned it until they're pronounced dead. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I just pray that I have the grace not to do so myself. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't have, I have no temptations right now to leave the Catholic church, but you know, every time I sin, uh, I'm, 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 I'm saying no to Jesus. Yeah. You know? um, in my experience in, in confession is sometimes, um, is sometimes, uh, you know, well, it's, 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 it's rack, second racking sobs sometimes because yeah. it's like, how can I say I love Jesus uh, when I crucify him every day? Sure. And, uh, and uh, why did I say that? Just because I'm acknowledging just the incredible weakness. Like it's hard to say some, someone will say from, from my old world, you know, you're very prideful. You're arrogant to say that you received this special revelation that none of us received. One, one of my relatives even pointed to another relative of ours that said, you know, you think you're holier than him. And, and he's a remarkably holy guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, you, you, there's no way, like, you know, she called me Joey too. <laughs> there's no way Joey that you're, you know, like, what do you, what do you think? you're giving yourself airs. How do you explain to somebody that, that doing something like this is actually very humble because you're yeah. admitting that you're wrong. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's, that's a Chestertonian concept too. Yeah. How do you, you know, you don't go for and shout from the rooftops. I'm so humble, you know, and yet, so you, so when somebody says you're arrogant uh, and you've done this because you're arrogant, sometimes the best response is, yeah, yeah, I, you know, you know, may a, may a maxima culpa, you yeah. know, and may God have mercy on my soul. Yeah. Right. You're right. I'm arrogant and I'm prideful. God save me. And in my heart, I'm, although I'm agreeing with what they're saying, I'm not agreeing with what they're saying. <laughs> so, yes, I am prideful and arrogant, like anybody who's ever sinned, but not because of why you say. Yeah. So uh, you learn you learn different little tricks um, on on your in your journey dealing with people who strongly disagree with your conversion. Little tricks to sort of make yourself at ease and also avoid saying something you regret. Yeah. Yes. Not like I haven't said things <laughs> I regret, but. <laughs> yeah, I you know the the litany of humility is mm. very powerful. I, for a while, and I should get back into this practice, honestly, Joe, uh, saying that every day, right? And, and one, of those, one of those lines, if I'm remembering correctly, is, you know, I don't want to be, it, it, I'll, uh, to paraphrase, right? Not getting caught up in being understood properly all the time. Yeah, like, from I'm the okay. desire of being right? understood, Lord Jesus, deliver yes. me. Yeah. You, know, you know it, you know it. Yeah. It's a oh, good I know one. that prayer. Right, because... It's right in my, my book. <laughs> that, that, that is the... Right, and we, before we I hit record, you were talking about this too, Joe. The idea that 
you could, gosh, you could write your manifesto, right? And I spent four and a half years on this show bringing, playing the Catholic faith, sharing stories like yours, uh, sharing bits of my own. I, I've written for longer than that on the internet, you know, blogging articles and stuff. And you can still be misunderstood, even if you write your whole your whole life story exactly how you wanted to do want it to be. You can still be mis misunderstood and not understood how you want to be understood, right? Like Catholics and, and Protestants alike. Yes, yes, right. I mean, I recently encountered an incident where people, or you know, where somebody was was kind of frustrated with me because it seemed like, well. I used to be evangelical and now I'm Catholic. So I'm so much better than those evangelicals. But like, that's no, that's not, that's not at all what I, what I'm trying to say or trying to do or trying to live. Like you say, it's a humbling thing to have to have said, I think I was wrong. And I think I have this figured out this way now. And here are my reasons why kind of presenting this in humility and cordially, but I misunderstood. Right. And I, and I, that that racks me. That hurts me. That that's hard to be misunderstood yeah. like that. But you know, Lord, deliver me from 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 needing to be, to be understood, right? Because I, I can't. I, I you can't, right? You you get uh, you'll get judged um, even from Catholics who almost think. I met I met a couple like a married couple who almost think there shouldn't be converts. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, who are you to say that? you should, you should convert. Um, and then another, even another Catholic, I was giving a talk one time in a parish and, uh, this, I described myself as, you know, cause I said I was an evangelical Protestant. I said, now I'm, I'm evangelical, but not Protestant. And, uh, you know, during question time, this, uh, this lady challenged me so hard. She's like, how can you say you're still evangelical? How can you say that? I said, well, because I'm, you know, kind of gave the, the Catholic understanding of, yes, yes. Uh, of what evangelical means in, in different contexts. You know, I'm very, very much gospel centered or I endeavor to be. She goes, yeah, but you said even you're trying to compromise. Them. No, I'm 100 percent Catholic. Yeah. Like I, I'm to the point of <clears throat> I'm to the point of uh, like I, I can echo Ignatius of uh, Loyola, who basically in paraphrasing uh, said, you know, if I see something as black and the church says it's white, it's white. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I'm almost, I'm like I'm to that point. Mind you, the church has to officially say so in a way that is undeniably dogmatic because <laughs> if i went if i went that direction uh well the current confusion in the church would uh, send me down a, a road i don't want to go down so <laughs> but uh yeah you'll get opposition from all sides remember you were you were saying um that you were looking for people to convince you to stop your journey yeah i sort of did as well i mean i was talking to a lot of catholics and orthodox as well orthodox christians um and uh, it was actually my my friends and family who dragged me in front of people who were to convince me to stop. Um, and the reason for that <clears throat> is because I had done all of my my research was all primary literature because I generally like to stay away from those who want to you know digest and regurgitate material for me. I, I want to go to the sources. I want to go to the ideas uh, where the ideas originated, and most importantly, the authorities the authority figures, the apostles, the people who learned the faith from them, the people through whom, like, that's literally your straw uh, that you're, you know, that you're breathing through while you're underwater. It's literally your your life source. This is where it's uh, Jude, verse 3. 
you know, uh, that you should, we should eagerly contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the, uh, to the saints. Yeah. Um, that's our, that's our life straw. So do that. Uh, so I was really focused on that. And I, I read some theologians. Uh, I can name, you know, a few were very, very influential on me. Uh, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Yes. Uh, for my trad friends. Yes. He actually helped me become Catholic and become a trad a traditionalist. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, Ratzinger, um, uh, there were others, you know, uh, oh, was, there's a book there by uh, uh, Pierre de Chardin um, and others as well. Even some of those who would be described as sort of part of the uh, conciliar kind of liberal crowd um, actually helped me because they were there's such depths of theology, even on the, you know, anyway, all I'm saying is I was doing that kind of research, that kind of reading, that kind of, I wasn't really into the um, sort of the popular uh, Catholic writers at the time. I did later on become a fan of people like Scott Hahn, like, you know, who you've had on the show. Um, but it was my friends and family dragging me in front of people who were to convince me. So it was my, my mother, God bless her soul. Like she just, she cares about me. Right. So <laughs> she doesn't want me to go to hell. So she, uh, she dragged me in front of two people. One, who, one of whom was the second in command of our denomination. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the other of whom was an old Bible college prof of mine who had a PhD in patristics. Um, so you'd think that those would, if anyone's going to convince me, it's going to be those guys, right? They know me, they know me for a long time and they have the credentials to be able to stop me. Well, when it came to the, uh, the, the prof, he would basically, he said things uh, to argue me out of becoming Catholic that were patently false. Yeah. And I said, oh, no. And I addressed my name, like, Professor, like, you know that he said that there was a word that didn't occur before AD 200 or whatever. I said, well, actually, so-and-so, like, like Tertullian said it, and, you know, like, that that's not true. And he goes, oh, I guess you're right. Oh, no. And and I was just like, how how is, how is this guy, I mean, at the time, this how how is that how i'm correcting you right i honestly think there's some willful ignorance on the part of some of these authorities um especially since you know acknowledging the truth just makes obvious what you then have to uh change in your life anyway and then the the other guy who's the authority in the paoc he basically handed me some articles by former nuns and priests yes of course and the priest ones always had SJ after their names too. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and so like, here, look at these former nuns and priests who exposed the evil of the Catholic church. And I go like, and I said, said his name, you can't possibly think that these disgruntled former, you know, Catholics are in any way <laughs> like reliable. Yeah. And uh, so I was just shocked at the, at the paucity of evidence that these people who were supposed to turn me around. Yeah. Yeah. Gave just, just nothing. Yeah. 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 And that's and lots I mean, of challenges since too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of challenges since, I mean, our story continues, Joe. Oh, yeah. I mean, last time that we sat down together, we sat down around a blazing fire. I think you'd thrown, I don't know you th- what you even threw in there. I feel like it was, Lots in my stuff. mind, it was a gigantic <laughs> fire. Had a couple of beers and looked out over, <laughs> over the river that runs through your property pretty idyllic. Yeah. I can remember some chickens in the background kind of yeah. making some noise. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you had any goats or anything at this time, but I, I maybe there may have been some goats involved. I'm not sure. And uh, we were, we were there because a bombshell, a bomb had gone off in both of our lives, uh, the same bomb, because we, 
it was, I'll sit back for a second here. It was a joy to re-encounter you again, right? So I became Catholic. Wife became Catholic a year after I did. We lived for a bit, a bit away from you. I mean, the same, the same region, not too far away. And I saw you. I should say this too. Okay, this is an aside, but this is this is powerfully powerful and important. I think to mention, Joe. What I say before that that my devotion to Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, kind of. Uh, became easier after that moment of, of prayer. Uh, it wasn't wasn't like overnight easy, right? It became easier, certainly. But I still didn't quite understand the rosary, and I still had some reservations and had to read a bunch more books from good theologians about Mary to understand the development of the of uh, of you know the Marian practice in the Catholic Church and where these things came from and the, the, their different roots. But one thing that really affected me, and and I mentioned this a lot on the show, I've mentioned it before for sure, is I can remember coming into, there was this Catholic men's group that I somehow stumbled into. I don't, I don't even think it was you that brought me in there, Joe. I don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know how I first got in there, but you were in this group, Joe. And I remember walking into this church, downtown Kitchener, and seeing like 10 grown men from all different walks of life right? Yeah. Some big tough guys like yourself, like other, all kinds of other guys, right? Guys in suits, guys in jeans, all kinds of different, whatever, different walks of life on their knees, praying the rosary. And I was, that was such a powerful like moment for me, that witness. I remember. And I thought, gosh, golly, there's something in this that I don't quite understand yet. If this brings all these guys who are smart guys from all different walks of life to their knees to pray this prayer together. There's something deep in this. And that like, I mean, that was profound. I don't I don't think I was even Catholic yet when I first began to attend that group. I don't, I don't think that I was. I don't and, think you were and, either. And there was, but I remember like, you telling me that. Yes. There was after, like this, after the event, you said yes. like, well, it's, how is this masculine? And it, it really works. Yeah. It was just, it was so powerful to see that, right? So that really moved the needle, you know, big time mm. in my understanding mm. of the rosary and, and, and Marian, Marian devotion. So, you know, I, I encountered you in that group, and that group was very important for me for a while, for many years, uh, going to that group once in a while. Um, not, not regular, I think, as you attended, but met some great guys in, in that group. And we, I don't know, we weren't in super great touch, but had the, the, the incredible blessing of then re-encountering you because we moved our family to the parish where you were working at this center as this as the university chaplain, you know, at, at this parish, and I thought, this is awesome. There, there's this, there's Joe, right? And we and we kind of reconnected on that level, and then a bombshell went off <laughs> in our lot in our lives. Well, COVID hit, and that was painful enough, but in in the middle of 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 that. I'll put it this way. I was teaching RCIA in that parish. We had moved, my wife and I, because our parish priest was was reassigned to this new church. And it was closer to us anyway, so it made sense to move. But it was a challenge. You know, that, that, that was a discernment for us in that we were had decided to follow this, you know, our, our pastor to a new church, leave our friend group at this first church, leave the church that my wife was brought into the church in where our son was baptized and had developed some friendships there. But we bought into a vision that, that this pastor had 
And when he was moved, you know, him and I sat down a bunch and chatted about it and kind of, you know, I, again, I was a kind of a, a sounding board for, for another, you know, another, another clergy member, right. And working through their ideas. And I said, you know what? I got a friend, Joe, at that church, actually, who's an awesome guy. He's the campus minister there. That, that's awesome. I, I, that's a cool move. This seems like a, like a really good fit, you know, for a pastor who had, you know, truly outgrown the parish we were in. Like, we were in a tiny little church and just bursting at the seams of things that were going on because this pastor was, you know, had, had some pretty cool vision. So we, we, you know, we followed that. And came in and me and you kind of reconnected, you know, we were in the same church together, doing stuff. I was teaching RCIA, and because it was a, it was COVID that year, things were shut down, and we had had to delay the the right of, uh, you know, delay the Easter Vigil essentially, right? Like the things closed down just before the Easter Vigil. And so there was no there was no vigil mass to bring in these new candidates to the church. So here was RCIA kind of truncated, and we did this kind of truncated ceremony. I think it was in July, right after yeah. things opened up in the first small stage up here in Canada, much later than many places in, in uh, elsewhere in the world. But that, that that's, that's beside the point. It opened up, we could have a small ceremony with very, you know a few guests. Uh, did this, brought in these new candidates to the church after a long time of waiting. You know, my first RCA program as the guy leading the program, I was like, yes, okay, done and dusted, we got it. Like, now now what's next? Get these guys connected to the church, get this thing, get these guys, you know, invested, really involved and in, in maintaining their faith. And uh, and the world exploded, or imploded, right? Um, yeah. Which... From my perspective, you know, you have your own perspective because you, this involves you too. But ended in, uh, I think you put, the, I think you, I think I can put it this way: you know, a priest being laicized for the reasons where that priests get laicized for, right? In the end, and sadly, our, our you know our stories are connected <laughs> in our conversions, but also in this kind of world imploding kind of incident disaster all those years later, right? The thing, the thing that so many converts fear and so many con people who are converting, those around them fear. I can remember, you know, first stepping my toes into the, the church, many people were stopping me and saying, do you, do you, are you sure? Look at, look at the scandals. Look at the, look at the, 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 the rate of, of abuse amongst priests and, and priests doing wacky kind of things. And are you sure you want to, want to do that and want to have kids someday and expose kids to that and expose your family to these kind of sufferings? And, and, and I always waved, right? In my ignorance, in my, in my, maybe my arrogance, ah, it can't happen to me. Can't happen to us. Won't happen. And that thing that, that is feared by many who are, <laughs> Looking to conversion happens, right? And the world kind of implodes. Yeah. What Incredibly you... painful experience. And the last time we but were together. You know, in... Challenge your faith. Oh, well, yeah, that's the last time <laughs> we were person, together was we, around the fire. We sat there and, and, and that's yeah. where we were. Kind of trying well, to piece just together. Yeah. Yeah. This, so it was, this, it was this scandal that broke out, an abuse scandal that broke out. Um, or at least that's how it was, you know, presented. And I remember you, you sitting there around the fire with me and, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, it was almost as though it was, um, I won't say it shook your faith, but it, it made you kind of 
reevaluate your entire, you know, sort of approach to participation in parish life. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, no, it is because we had, we'd, we'd uprooted and we had, you know, we had moved following the vision of a visionary that then kind of crashed and burned. Right. And a lot of our, a lot of our identity in that parish and how we were currently practicing our faith was wrapped up in being part of establishing this vision and starting this new thing. And it seemed like this anointed thing that, you know, RCA was, okay, I led that, you know, even in spite of COVID, I'd led that course. It had gone well. Let's do it again next year, even better. Now that COVID's passing us by, you know, what's next? What can we tackle kind of next? Right. And then that kind of just hit a brick wall. And yeah, we, we were certainly kind of going, well, what, what now? Right. And I remember I told Is that kind of a Protestant thing to, to really kind of, you know, dive deep into the work of a parish because of the vision of a particular pastor? Well, it's, I feel it, like that's a Protestant. Uh, it's certainly, it's I'm, not, yeah. I'm tempted to do it too. Yes. It certainly is. Yeah. Certainly, I was just like, I was sharing, I was sharing the Catholic faith with some Protestant, uh, Friends, I do this a lot, by the way. And uh, just in fact, today, like hours ago, before I kind of settled in to get ready for the podcast, um, you know, they were like, they're caught up in this dynamic even way more than than, than you are. Of course, like um, I'm making it sound like you were still Protestant. You weren't. <laughs> uh, it, but this idea of getting caught up in, in the vision and the program of a parish, and that's really your primary expression of faith. And I kind of had to lay it down for them and said, look, if I lived in a place where the nearest Catholic church, uh, you know, there's, there's a Catholic church in town, but the next one is three hours away or something like that. And it was really my only choice. And it was one of these tepid, um, yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, tambourine waving, felt <laughs> oh, no. banner, rainbow flag waving uh, church, uh, parishes. And then right across the street with this, this was this on fire, spirit filled, um, you know, Protestant charismatic church or, you know, whatever. And they're just doing great. They have great fellowship, great outreach dynamic uh, teaching and all this stuff 100% without even a doubt in my mind, I'd be going to the first one. Uh, and he goes, why? And I felt like that doesn't make any sense. Like he goes, I know you like, that's not you. Why? And I said, because I'm not there for the pastor. Yeah, I'm not yeah. there for the people in the pew beside me. I'm there for Jesus. Yeah. I'm there for the sacraments that he gave to his church to extend his incarnation to us and uh, throughout time and space. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, even, I guess I have to remind myself of that because I'm actually very, uh, I believe really in, in getting behind uh, the ministry of, of your parish priest um, and really supporting and doing that kind of thing. But it's, it's really, really got to remember that you're not there for him. Yeah. You know, you're there for Jesus. Yeah. And so even if he has terrible homilies and he himself is lukewarm in the faith and, you know, I work with a lot of priests now, so I've, I meet, I meet these guys. And I'm like, if I was in your parish, boy, it would really drive home that I go there for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's deeply true. Yeah. And that's a different, that's a different dynamic entirely, right? From many of the kind of church shopping kind of mentality. That, I, I, that sounds very kind of derogative. I don't mean it that way, but that's the mentality of many. And it certainly was my mentality, our mentality as evangelicals, right? You're looking for a church that meets your needs, that meets the needs of your family, that meets the needs of your your spirituality. It has good music and, and good good preaching and good uh, ministry for youth and for kids and like in these kinds of things, right? 
you, you do that as an evangelical, and many times the theology is kind of secondary to the programming you're looking for in these things, because it's not quite as, it's important, not always quite as important if you agree on all the fine points of, of their theology. I mean, that's, that's a completely different experience to how you do church, in quotes, like as a Catholic, right? I mean, you can, you can look for those things. And I've had, I've had great conversations on this show about that idea where, no, you shouldn't feel like you're bound to go to a church when your kids get nothing from it and when there's nothing for families, there's no families there, right? If you have an option of going somewhere else, you shouldn't feel like you're bound to, to a certain church, Catholic church, if there's a Catholic church that does things that will like really enrich your family in a, in a better way, right? But it's not, it's not the same idea of I'm putting that first before any theology or before, because we're not there for those those things. Those are enriching things, but we're there in any Catholic church for, for Jesus, right? For the Eucharist, for the sac- for the sacraments, right? It's a different mentality, maybe hard to understand from the outside too. Because I wouldn't have I, I would have gone, well that doesn't make any sense. You go, you go. But it's definitely a, a different thing. It's it's quintessentially Protestant. It's consummately Protestant yeah. to um to church shop. Um, even if you're really faithful in one congregation for your whole life, you're still church shopping, right? Because you looked all around and you said, this one suits me best, right? Whereas uh, yeah. it's just not, that's not the way it is. I could go to any Catholic church anywhere in the world, good congregation, full dynamic and alive, bad one, good priest, bad priest. I'm there for Jesus, like you say. But, you know, all that matters is we all we all love Jesus, right, Keith? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you heard that from Protestant friends and family who just kind of want to make the discussion go, well, you know what? We all believe in Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'm always tempted to go, uh, really? Like, you mean like, like the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons? We all love Jesus? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. You know, you know what I mean. You have to believe he's God. I'm like, oh, so like, like the Arians and the Nestorians and all the other heretics who also <laughs> believed that Jesus is God? Well, you know what I mean. You have to, and then they start quoting some formula that sounds like a creed. Sure. I'm like, wait a second. You know, I remember a very close relative of mine saying, nothing can be known dogmatically about Jesus except uh, what's in the Nicene Creed. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. Why the Nicene Creed? <laughs> like, why pick that particular <laughs> document that the Catholic Church promulgated dogmatically? Why, why that one? Why not some other one? I mean, it just blew my mind. Anyway, uh, all this to say that uh, what Jesus are you pursuing? You know, what Jesus are you, um, are, are you saying we all love? Yeah. And and I always say, when somebody says we worship the same God, I always say the difference between you and me is not in the word God. It's in the word worship. Worship. Yeah. Yeah. We do something toward the same God. We both do something toward the same God. Uh, whether that's worship, I don't know if I can describe it like that. There's no worship without sacrifice. Yeah, well, that was and, uh, that was one of my first kind of before I even had a formally Catholic blog. I had a gosh, it was like a, it was one of those like this was the era of blogging, Joe, and it was one of those kind of like mindstream. Whatever I, I felt like, whatever I felt like blogging, blog. So it was sometimes politics. Yeah. It was sometimes religion. It was sometimes reviews of movies or music that I happened to like, and I don't know who read it, but people. There were there were readers, and one of the first kind of dipping my toes into a Catholic argument was about like worship, right? And I said, 
And I was trying to like a thought experiment, like, okay, looking at my Sunday morning Pentecostal worship service, like where, where are the roots of that versus the roots of a Catholic mass? And I didn't actually know a lot about Catholic mass, but I knew that it was rooted in really an ancient liturgy and an ancient, you know, an ancient understanding of how we worship. And I was kind of comparing those worships, those, those quote unquote worship styles and my conclusion of this thought experiment, like, yeah, I became Catholic like a decade after this, but you know, way back when was that the Catholics had a better claim to be worshiping properly than I had as a Pentecostal because they had deeper roots yeah. grounded in their form of worship. I didn't, I didn't do anything with that for 10, you know, for 10 years other than having it niggle away at my brain as I process these <laughs> things, right? Letting the Holy Spirit kind of begin to, to I don't know, whisper in my ear or something. Yeah. But I concluded that way back then that, that, that that's what worship has always meant in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, into the, in the early church fathers, right? Down through, down through the, all the theologians of the church, up until the Reformation, when that kind of becomes mixed, how we understand that, right? Sacrifice of the Mass versus what's happening yeah. there, and, and Zwingli comes along and entering in some symbolism and these kinds of things. That first 1,500 years of church history, the, the, and beyond in the Old Testament, of course, right, which all Christians can affirm, that's what worship meant. And that yeah. was one of those, like, wait, wait a second. Sacrifice, priesthood, liturgy. Uh, rules that if you transgress those in the liturgy, there's severe consequences. Uh, not blurring the lines between the priests, uh, between the clergy and the laity, um, the authority, the teaching authority of the people of God, you know, from the top down being integrated into the liturgy, all of those things, the hierarchical nature of the people of God, all, all translates into the Catholic church more than any other Christian movement with the possible exception of, uh, of the Orthodox. Um, yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's, it's one of the worst things that evangelical Protestants ever did uh, is uh, take the concept of the priesthood of all believers and turn that into something that uh, means that there's no distinction between the, the ministering, the ordained class and, and, the, and the laity. Uh, it destroyed both. It destroyed both the concept of the laity and the concept of the priesthood. All that to say that, you know, you talk about worship styles, it's like, you know, one's worship and one isn't, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I know you were just using a handle yeah. to refer to it, but it's like, no, 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 no. If the, the worship of, of Yahweh from the very beginning, like going back to Cain and Abel involves sacrifice yeah. and submission to authority. And if you don't do that, you're in trouble. You know, the very first act that, that, uh, the, the, our father in the faith, Abraham, uh, does is, is, uh, is, is build a, an altar, build a sac, you know, make a sacrifice. Uh, there's so many, you know, uh, it's, it's true that Catholic worship is the modern, not modern, but the, uh, the the new covenant manifestation of Old Testament worship. There's just no question in my mind. Yeah, yeah, and that you know, it, and it, you put all this together, man. It's, it's it's just hard to for me to even imagine how I thought before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm glad I journaled a lot because I was like, oh, yeah, I have to go back and like, I, I would read something in scripture and I'd journal about it because uh, it would hit me in a particular way. And I'm like, man, I mean, there's truth in what you just said, self, you know, 20 year old self. But that's not what that means. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. 
So I, I want to touch on one more thing that you said that I just kind of yeah. floored me. And this was a while ago. You, you mentioned that when you were becoming Catholic, you were realized you were nostalgic for a thing you hadn't experienced before, which yeah. I, I think you said that, and I got shivers down my spine earlier in this conversation, Joe, because that's exactly how that hit me. I, you know, I can remember beginning to look into the Catholic faith and, and hitting a moment where I think it probably was the moment where I realized I couldn't go back. I'd gone too far. I'd, I'd bought into, I understood what was happening here. And I'd recognized that this, as far as I could discern, was the church that Christ founded and continued on to today in the sacraments, in the Eucharist, in the, in the priesthood. This was that church that Christ, that Christ founded in continuity. And it was still here. I can feel that very viscerally, that nostalgia for this thing that I was never part of before. But when I fixed that in my mind, it felt like I missed that and had been missing that for forever. And that makes sense yeah. in like a, this, a weird way, right? Because of course we're nostalgic for a time when the, when the faith was, was one, you know, united. We're nostalgic for when I could walk into a parish and see a priest in a Roman collar who could, who was empowered by Christ through, you know, when he gave the apostles the power to bind and loose and pass down through time that this priest now in that parish is empowered to say, you know, I forgive you because Christ empowers me to say that, right? There, yeah. there's, a, there's a deep sense that I missed a thing I never had <laughs> and, and encountering that and going, well, now I can do this. Now I can walk into that church and see a priest there. I can walk into a church and, and the Eucharist is there, our Lord on the, on the altar during adoration and in Mass, right? Yeah. You're longing for something that we should have always had. Yeah. And it felt like I, I, I knew that. It felt like in some past lifetime, I had, been, I had done those things and lived that life. But I had it. Yes. And, I don't, and I don't believe in past lifetimes. No, but, but I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I mean like, like there's... Um, I remember even like in, in ministry, like, you know, leading worship and leading like say communion. I remember actually this goes all the way back to like remembering uh, my first like baptismal services. And I was always very like, you know, I really hope they say it right. I really hope that. And, you know, it's part of it, just like the pomp and ceremony of it. But I was like, don't, don't take baptism lightly. Like you got to do this in the right way. And, uh, you know, I cared about how the, pastor usually would say it and care about who was doing the baptizing and, and why. And, and, and then later on, I remember in ministry, it was, uh, uh, I remember the most powerful times of, of what I would have that time called worship um, were, you know, times when we were evoking either scripture in high language or evoking kind of uh, ancient Christian formulae, um, you know, Lord have mercy on us. Um, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the of, of the Living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. These kinds of prayers or or formulas that would, or even a creed, uh, and it was like, oh, there's something there that I and I would never have associated it with the Catholic yeah, Church. Yeah, I just yeah. knew that something we're doing right now connects us back to this generations of Christians that go back to Christ, and this is the way in which we're participating in that. And I remember even uh, for a communion service. Um, I remember having the congregation uh, say the Apostles' Creed. And, of course, I replaced the word Catholic with universal, yeah. <laughs> as you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And um, just not what that word means. But uh, 
I remember having them say, "Hey," and, I, and afterwards, people were coming up to me. It's like, "Why? Why this? Why the dead? Why the vain repetition?" You know, we, we shouldn't be doing this. That, that's so Romish. And I'm like, I wasn't trying to be Romish. I wasn't trying to be Catholic. I just thought this, this is what connects us to the ancient faith. Like, don't we believe that we connected back to the apostles? No, we're connected to the beginning of last century when Pentecost came. You know, they didn't say that. They, to be fair, they did not say that. But, you know, and I remember, um, oh, my gosh, the worst. I actually got corrected by the senior pastor. I remember holding, you know, because you get there and you have these plates with little, you know, stale saltine crackers. And then this tray with little thimble-sized cups yeah, of, yeah, of grape juice, yeah. Welch's. Amen. <laughs> and amen. Hold them. Amen. I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember people would come by and, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd whatever, you'd, you'd take it and go back to your seat. Um, and I remember as people were taking it, I remember one time saying somebody would take this. And I used it more. It was more in an Anglican formula. I said, uh, uh, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, as they would take it. And then I would say, the blood of Christ. Uh, drink and be thankful that your things are your sins are gone, you know. And people were looking at me like, "What are you doing right now?" Because for a lot <laughs> yeah. of these people, eating crackers and and drinking juice at the same time was really just an act of unity. It was really just an act yeah. of we all believe this and we're all behind this pastor and um, and that kind of thing. It wasn't really about participating in the passion of Christ. It was. <laughs> it was just a symbol, right? Yeah. And but, but we talk about this nostalgia for something you've never experienced. I remember doing that. Like I say, it's an Anglican formula, but that's taken, of course, from uh, Catholic liturgy. And really feeling like, oh yeah, this feels absolutely right, even though we weren't trained to do that at all yeah. in seminary or anything, right? But yeah, that nostalgia for something we don't, we've never experienced. I mean, that's that's heaven too, right? Any instance of like overpowering beauty or falling in love uh, or the deep, uh, you know, closeness you feel uh, with a friend once you really bond over something. These are all signs of heaven. These are all things that we're longing for that we've never experienced, but deeply innately we know this is the fulfillment of all desire. Yeah. I had father uh, Joshua Caswell, fellow Canadian oh, from, yeah. uh, from North. He's down at St. John Cantius in Chicago. Now the cans regular down there. Uh, Canadian, Thank God for them. Canadian guy. And he was, you know, he was raised Pentecostal and a brilliant story. So listeners who want to hear an amazing conversion story, him and his family, Pentecostal missionaries went up north, northern Canada to evangelize the indigenous community up there who were actually already Catholic. And they're like reverse evangelizing <laughs> Father Joshua and his family. And they all became Catholic. His family on mass, like him and all the, all his siblings, and, and parents became Catholic because of the right, the work of the you know the Jesuits who came like you know hundreds of years ago who evangelized this group of indigenous people up there who then practiced this vibrant Catholic faith and these Pentecostals come along and actually we're already Christians we're just we're, we're Catholic and here's our faith and just a beautiful story but he you know he was Pentecostal and he said that the thing and I love this the thing we always longed for like in our charismatic Pentecostal like services, right? We'd, we'd, we'd have worship in quote services, right? We worship music. We're singing to Jesus. We're singing these praises. I want more of you. I want more of you. And in various forms of song, right? We'd sing these kind of, these kinds of words. And he said when he became Catholic and then became a priest, he finally found the fulfillment of those words he used to sing. And he said to me, he's never felt more charismatic in all his Pentecostal time than when he celebrates mass. Because here's all those things he had longed for and prayed for and desired deeply 
I can remember, you know, laying prostrate as a Pentecostal Christian, just wanting God to rain down on me, wanting to feel more yep. of him, wanting him to, you know, come into every molecule of my being because I was yep. just so open, to, you know, to Christ. And Father Joshua says, look, well, here it is. Here's that thing. For him as a priest celebrating that, but for all those receiving Christ in the Eucharist, here's a thing that we could never have imagined is actually physically possible. And I thought, yeah, that's yep. that's like here's a Pentecostal guy talking to his people. Like that that's it. That's the thing we all wanted. And he goes, Well, here it is. <laughs> right? It's that it's that movement I was referring to earlier of we the the goal of Pentecostal wor- uh, worship services, praise and worship, whatever, was to enter into the throne room and could we get there? Yes. And sometimes you even hear worship uh, leaders, even myself, saying things like, We're almost there. Yeah. Just push a little harder. Yeah. We're almost, you know. And now I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely what you what uh, yeah, what, uh, what what Father Jason said and what uh, you just said exactly is right. Yeah. Is that God? It reminds reminds me of Romans chapter eight. Um, what we could not do is actually referring to the law. Uh, could not do weakened as it was by the flesh. God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Yeah. He condemned sin in the flesh. And it's like, yeah, what we've been trying to do on for good reason, right? The law was not uh, evil. Um, with good motivation, we were trying to do something that God had already done for us. Wait a second. Isn't that a Protestant thing? <laughs> Don't they accuse us Catholics of trying to earn something that God's yeah. already done for us? Well, actually, <laughs> it's the other way around, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it's it's astounding how, uh, how, how, how my understanding of and your understanding of worship has just been flipped. You know, it's completely opposite. That's amazing. Uh, This has been an amazing conversation to have with you. I'm very, I'm very, I've had so much fun. It's been been a lot of fun catching up personally and, and, you know, in front of all of our listeners here and and viewers. So that's wonderful. They can just, they can just hang out with us and and enjoy this. Why don't you tell people, I don't know if you want to tell people what you've been up to or what you do. And I can, and I don't know, normally I ask guests if they have, you know, if they have, a book or something. I can put those links in the show notes. I don't know if you want me to link to this stuff in the show notes or what you, what you want to tell them, but, uh, but I, I give you the floor. What do you want? What do you want to say as we close sure. this thing off? Uh, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Keith Albert. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Is it Albert Keith or Keith Albert? I can't no, it's Keith Albert. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm serving right now as executive director of Canadian priests for the third millennium. You may, some people may be familiar with uh, Cardinal Dolan's uh, Cardinal Dolan from New York, his book uh, priests for the third millennium. It's kind of seen as sort of a seminal work for um, understanding the role of priests in the West um, uh, as, as it continues to evolve, as the second Vatican council becomes more and more authentically uh, implemented. And uh, so Canadian priests for the third millennium evolved out of something that actually uh, not a lot of, well, sorry, that a lot of people know about, uh, not a lot of people know the connection. There's used to be this um, hockey team called the flying fathers. And it was started by Les Costello, who was a Stanley cup award winning, uh, um, you know, Maple Leaf back in the dark ages when the Maple Leafs last won the Stanley cup. And uh he, uh, after winning the cup, uh, uh, he became a priest. So his father, Les Costello, and uh, for, you know, it's, it's actually a great story, but he ended up starting, uh, you know, in order to raise funds for this 
this kid who was going to go blind, uh, he needed a special surgery. So this Father Wes Costello said, okay, we're going to get all the priests who play hockey together and we're going to do a, you know, a game that, that raises funds for this, this boy. Well, that exploded over the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even the early 2000s. And the, the Flying Fathers became a phenomenon across this country. Um, and what was great about it is not only did it help the priests that, who played, you know, develop uh, camaraderie and fraternity and mentorship, but it gave back to communities and, and provided a, an opportunity for priests to, to showcase, yeah, we're normal people. Um, we're normal men and we do things that, you know, that men like to do and, um, and we, and we can do so and give back. We can have fun and be faithful at the same time. Well, what the, the first benefit that I talked about how, you know, priests uh, were, were finding that they could bond and have fraternity and actually increased, you know, like their mental health it, it helped them. Um, when COVID hit and the, uh, the resurgence of the flying fathers kind of got um, stymied, in 2020 um it was some of the players and, and, and other people realized that oh we need this we actually need that for our own selves even apart from or on top of the yeah, charity yeah. work we're doing so we so uh a group was started called canadian priests for the third millennium and um it's they started to minister to priests and seminarians and discerners trying to make more and more of uh you know, I'm sure each of us has a, an archetype priest in our head, you know, the one that's really conformed to the sacred heart of Jesus in his priesthood and is, uh, you know, really faithfully following the church and, and is holy and, and, uh, and, and, you know, leads the flock the way that Jesus wants him to, that kind of thing. Um, we're trying to make more and more of them. <laughs> uh, and so in various ways, uh, we help, uh, just, you know, seminarians and priests and discerners. Um, get the formation they need, sometimes mental health uh, support. Um, there's there's a bunch of ways, uh, some of which can be publicly talked about and others of which can't. Uh, it's certainly hard to raise funds for because, you know, you don't pass the cup around and say, hey, would you like to give to Canadian Catholic priests? No. <laughs> Um, that's not a, that's a non-starter for 99% of the population. So, uh, like I say, it's hard to raise funds for, but, um, we're doing some great work. I've seen, I've seen actual priests like actually turn around, you know, priests going through a crisis of faith, um, actually coming, coming through and on the other side. And God's been so good and is given me and given us an inordinate amount of favor and blessing that we do not deserve, uh, in this work. So I, I do that. Uh, the Flying Fathers are still associated with us. Uh, we're going to be, uh, in fact, we were just in the Sarnia area last November um, doing, a, doing a tour there, and that was fun. We're going to be coming back at some point in the near future. Uh, so that's what I do. I, I help priests um, in various ways. It's hard to sort of explain sometimes. It would take a lot longer to explain why. <laughs> why do priests need help? They're associated with the richest organization in the world. What's, uh, you know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, it, it gets, it's complicated. Not every priest has access to um, the help that they need. Yeah. Um, if there are any priests or anybody who uh, uh, is interested in knowing more, I think the link you can put in the, uh, in the description is canadianpriest.ca. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, always uh, looking to uh, encounter new people and shape the vision of, um, you know, renewing the church in Canada through uh, helping to renew the Canadian priesthood. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so important work for sure. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And immensely fulfilling. You know, I was, I was really fulfilled in campus ministry. And then when God call, called me in this direction, uh, I didn't want to go. Yeah. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Um, but I've seen now what's going on and, um, 
yeah, just like like I say, you know, you know, what, you ever done something where it's like it shouldn't be this easy, or or rather, the amount of effort I've put in, it, this much fruit should not be coming. Yeah, from. yeah, yeah. And it's clearly God saying, "All right, give me your give me your bread and fish, and I'll feed five thousand people." Yeah, you know, I can think of of other unnamed podcasts to put in that no non effort and receive fruitful. And I'm not bitter. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, this cross I won't okay. Listen, Joe, Joe, it's been an, an absolute thrill. I, I think listeners will be totally enriched by this conversation. I hope they will be. It's an awesome story. And again, I love how our our stories, for better and for worse, intersect at certain places mm-hmm. in kind of unique, really mm-hmm, interesting yeah. ways. So for me personally, maybe it's just an ego trip. I don't know. But it's really fun to have this kind of conversation with you. And to hear to hear your story laid out like this, and uh, find the fun little places where mine meets yours is really fun. So yeah, listen, I want to say God bless you, Joe, your family, the work you are you are doing for the church, and sincerely thank you so much uh, for being with us today, Joe. This has been awesome. Thanks, Keith. I've had a really great time. God bless you. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. I was so excited to have that with Joe. It did not disappoint whatsoever. We talked for probably half an hour before, an hour after I hit the the button to stop recording. Uh, great to catch up with him and have a conversation with, uh, with a dear friend Joe I haven't seen in a couple of years. And such a fascinating conversation, uh, a conversion story, I should say. Hopefully you found that too. The the, the connection points just amaze me, uh, you know, h- how those things intersect. So hopefully that came out in our conversation too. Let me know what you think though. CordialCatholic at gmail.com is our email address. I'm swamped at present with emails, but I promise you I'll get back to those as soon as I can. Uh, it, it's tough sometimes with a newborn baby, as you may know, getting back to those correspondence but please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you and we'll get back to you as humanly possible. We're on youtube.com slash the cordial Catholic to watch what you are hearing. And hey, if you could just press pause maybe and go over there and subscribe to our channel, whether or not you watch it, that helps to grow the channel and tells YouTube, hey, people are watching this. Show these videos to more and more people and that really helps spread the message and the thing we're, we're trying to do here for Christ and for his church. We're on Facebook, The Cordial Catholic, TikTok, uh, Twitter, and Instagram at Cordial Catholic. And thecordialcatholic.com is our website. If you want to help support the show financially, we're on patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. And do leave a rating and a review wherever you listen, guys. That would be awesome. Thanks for listening. Please pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you too. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.